Welcome to the Pets Who Thrive podcast, where we cover all areas of natural animal health and challenge what we've been conditioned to think regarding how to raise and keep a healthy pet. My name is Tammy. I'm an entrepreneur and a certified animal naturopath with a passion for animals and empowering other pet owners with tools for creating the healthiest version of your amazing pets. Let's dive in. Hello, I am so glad you're here joining me today. Um, On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Todd Cooney once again, and Dr. Todd is here today talking to us about vaccinosis. And so welcome, Dr. Todd. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Amy. Glad to be with you. Great. Well, so I know a lot of people out there have probably never even heard the term vaccinosis. So I thought maybe it might be helpful if you could kind of give everyone an idea as to what vaccinosis is. Sure. Well, vaccinosis, it's one of my favorite topics, actually, because I spend a lot of time talking about it. Yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) Um, I'm sure. In daily practice and consulting with people. Yeah, unfortunately, it's very common. And it's because it's very common in our animals and um, it goes mostly unrecognized by most of the uh, veterinary world because they don't, you know, they don't think like homeopaths and they don't recognize the concept of vaccinosis, but it's actually been around for several hundred years and was introduced in the late 1800s by a homeopath over in England in Compton Burnett. And he invented the word, and he didn't really apologize for it. He said, we have other words like that, like tuberculosis, and scrofulosis. And so he said, vaccinosis is a, is a real word that we're going to use because it fits what we're talking about, which is this idea of a disease caused by vaccines. Mm-hmm. So, so vaccinosis simply means, you know, disorders or problems caused by vaccine. And, um, it was one of the biggest things we learned in homeopathy training, and it's it's part of the uh, third session, which is the session I usually help teach. So I've, I've, I've had to learn a lot about it and teach a lot about it. So it's near to my heart, yeah. unfortunately. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, we are taught and, um, you know, humans and for our pets that they're, you know, these vaccines are these super, um, sterile, you know, super antiviral, you know, everybody should get them. Um, and they're, you know, safe as water, you know, I mean, there's just all this around that. And for there to be any, Mm -hmm. um, evidence that a disease could be created because of a vaccine, um, is is kind of foreign, I'm sure Mm -hmm. to a lot of people out there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people know that things can go wrong, you know, with vaccinating and everybody's heard of, you know, the dog that gets a swollen face or vomiting and diarrhea or something right after vaccinating, like within 24 hours or so. But what vaccinosis is really talking about more commonly is, is the long-term chronic effects, which don't show up right away. They may take weeks or months to mm-hmm. show up. And um, so this is, and this is the, the results of the vaccines and the way they can um, cause imbalance of the immune system and get into more of an autoimmune problem where the immune system, uh, the body's immune system starts to attack itself. So instead of just looking out for foreign things to protect the body from, it starts to attack the body's own tissues and, and other things too. So it's it's more in a hypersensitive state, and so that's that's really where the biggest part of the problem lies is the immune system gets disrupted and gets confused, and it's hard to straighten, or it can be hard to straighten it out again. Sure. Actually, one of the only ways you can do it is with homeopathy, I believe. And like you said, there's there's not any um, really recognition in the conventional medical world that vaccines may have caused like they're, you know, a, a disease or, you know, as you know, something pops up a couple months later, there's no correlation typically between the vaccine that was given two months ago and, 
you know, now the fact that they have an autoimmune um, disease. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, really common. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of really common examples out there that everybody's seen over and over. You know, the puppy who gets his first round of puppy shots and a few weeks later he's itching and he has skin allergies. Lo and behold, he's got skin allergies now. And where did those come from? Well, they probably came from the vaccine. Yep. Or the the puppy or young dog that starts to have seizures. You know, those probably came from the vaccine as well. And yeah, it, because it's a known fact in the human side that vaccines cause inflammation of the brain that can lead to seizures. But for some reason, people deny it on the animal side. Interesting. Yeah, I remember I have them. Um two brothers um puppies yeah um i had two brother two puppies that were brothers and i was you know years ago taking them and to get their puppy shots and everything and i remember i would take them to go potty and they wouldn't even go potty because they just sat there and were just scratching 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 and i mean literally i would call them itchy and scratchy and i remember at the time i brought it yeah. up to my vet yeah. and he goes Oh yeah, that's just their puppy coat, you know, kind of coming out and the new, you know, adult coat coming in. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. going, okay, yeah. you know, this will go away, you know. So but yeah, I mean it, again, no recognition um, yeah. that something may, you know, something that yeah. they injected in their body may have caused some of this. Yeah, the cause and effect thing's really lost on the conventional side. Yeah, for sure. Um, what are some of the things that you have yeah. seen um, in, in terms of what vaccines, what, how, do, how do they protect us? Uh, what vaccines can do? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, um, with most of our domestic animals, I, you know, this would include dogs, cats, and horses mainly. And those are the species probably most heavily vaccinated. A lot, a lot of livestock are vaccinated, but they're, it's a different situation with livestock because most of those animals aren't around for very long because they go into the food mm-hmm. chain. You know, they, they go to market at a pretty young age. So we don't really have enough time to see chronic disease there. But, but with the other animals, horses, dogs, cats, and uh, you do have time to see that developing and it's um it, it's pretty it's pretty well established that chronic disease state of most of these domestic animals is getting worse over the last thirty or forty years, and a lot of a lot of veterinarians have noticed this, and most holistic vets attribute this to increased vaccination of animals. There's other factors too, you know, the environment you could say has gotten a lot more toxic. Um, with different chemicals and pesticides and things that are persistent in the environment. So, you know, exposure to toxins and pollution and things like that. And just the fact that chronic disease gets worse over time with, with most um, species, you know, the chronic disease doesn't tend to stay the same because offspring inherit their parents' chronic disease at the level uh, where it is when they're conceived. So whatever level that is for the parents, the offspring inherit it there. They don't, they don't necessarily inherit better health than their parents. They're lucky if they inherit the same level of health. Mm-hmm. And then if theirs goes downhill from there and they have more chronic disease and then they reproduce and they, so you can see that there's kind of a downward trend. Right. It's like um, kind of like just <clears throat> copy over copy over copy over copy. And all of that yeah. is just kind of yeah, exactly. yeah, uh, trickling down. Yeah. You know, I remember um, I have a friend yeah. who um, she got a puppy from a breeder and decided she didn't want to vaccinate the puppy. And so she, you know, asked the breeder, could you just not vaccinate my puppy? And he was like, really? Okay, mm-hmm. no problem. And so she got him and, mm-hmm. and then she got in touch with you and you guys did no sods and, you know, for protection and everything. And next thing we know, he is, um, he has coprophagia where they, you know, eat poop obsessively. I mean, obsessively. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I remember her oh, coming yeah. to me afterwards and she goes, oh my gosh, I talked to Dr. Cooney and he said that he's got vaccinosis. And she goes, I'm so confused. He hasn't been vaccinated. And it, you know, and again, he, all of that, that his parents had was brought down through the sperm and the egg. And so mm-hmm. it, it just continues to um, filter down to the next generation and people don't realize that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they don't, and the readers don't realize that, especially unless they're natural breeders who aren't vaccinating and they know it very well because they've had to, they've had to uh, breed until they get rid of yeah. it. So, which could be, you know, five to um, six generations. Yeah. It's, yeah. It can take a while. Yeah. yeah it can take a while. So what, can you talk a but little yeah, bit? This of, idea that vaccines are just harmless. Yeah. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, um, I've just, I've heard a lot about you're trading acute disease for chronic. So for example, you're trading getting distemper, let's say, for some other chronic illness. Can you explain kind of how that works with a vaccination? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. I mean, from the homeopathic perspective. The conventional side says the antibody, you know, the vaccine helps you produce antibodies to the virus. So then, when you when you get exposed to virus, the antibodies protect you from the virus or protect the animal from the virus. So, um, what the homeopathic view is is that the vaccine causes a chronic disease state called vaccinosis, and this prevents the acute state from really happening most of the time. Although it's not. 100% is definitely not foolproof. And for, for example, most of the parva we see these days is in vaccinated puppies or vaccinated dogs. We don't see much at all in the dogs that we see that we give no sods and we don't vaccinate. <clears throat> so, so that's the idea. And um, Burnett talked about it in smallpox because that was the only vaccine back in his day in the 1800s. If you think about that, you know, 200 years ago, we only had one vaccine. And now look at how many vaccines we have and how many vaccines, like kids get like 120 different vaccines by the time they're in third grade, I think. Something crazy like that. Um, And it's getting a lot of vaccines, especially in their younger years. You know, some breeders now start vaccinating pups at two weeks of age, two, you know, two, four. I've seen pups that got a vaccine every week until they were eight weeks old, which is about five or six doses. And the thing is, is the their body's really too young to even respond to any vaccine at that sure. age because they're they're mostly working on their mother's antibodies, their mother's immunity. And so. It doesn't really do the pups any good, but I think people do that out of an attempt to make things better because they haven't had luck with conventional vaccine schedules. So they think, well, more, more will be better. So yeah. let's, let's start earlier, give them more often. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, what the crazy thing is, is that each puppy is, is born with a, a good immune system, a pretty good immune system that's designed to defend it against all mm-hmm. these things. And all we have to do really is support that thing that's already there and not get in the way of it, not do things that are going to interfere, like like vaccinate, for instance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Vaccinating um, has been shown to interfere with natural immunity in a big way. And it, it, it produces sort of a counterfeit immunity. And this is what Burnett called it, too. He called it a counterfeit type of immunity. Because it's it's a cheap imitation of the real thing, and it it doesn't last for a long time, you know, contrary to most people's beliefs. But it's it's pretty temporary, and it's pretty weak compared to natural immunity. So, interesting. Um, by you know by trying to support the natural immunity of of the animal or the person, you're you're really working with the body instead of against mm-hmm. it, and you're doing things that will not interfere with that process and also won't cause all of these changes that we um, label as vaccinosis. You know, vaccinosis is, is a lot of different things as we're going to get into. Yeah. In a little bit, but <clears throat> well, and that's, so, um, that's kind of like one of the things I think that's probably the most disturbing, um, 
you know, in this day and age is the number one reason that, you know, uh, pet parents take their dogs or cats to the vet is because of allergies or skin and ear issues. And most of that can be directly tied back to vaccinosis. Yeah, exactly. Well, because it's all related to this immune confusion, you know, immune autoimmunity or immune system confusion. And nothing really can do that except for vaccine. Vaccines are about the only thing that have that ability. Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's, so, a, you know, again, it's a, it's a tough thing because, you know, as a pet parent, you know, you're, you're trusting what your veterinarian says and they, you know, oh my gosh, you know, allergies are so bad this time of year. And so let's try mm-hmm. this, you know, super duper, <clears throat> you know, um, anti-itch formula, you know, and the parents like, please give it to me because I want some sleep, you know, and not even thinking the vaccine that they were given three months ago has one bit of, you know, influence on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the vet's not seeing any connection either, which they, you know, they aren't really trained to do that. Unfortunately, exactly. What we end up doing in the conventional side is we create this problem and then we then we misidentify it as a new disease and we treat it incorrectly with drugs to suppress the symptoms and the body gets more and more frustrated because it's it's trying to heal itself and it can't because we're suppressing all the symptoms and so the disease just goes inward and goes deeper mm-hmm. and turns into more serious things like cancer right. um, organ failure things like that so instead of having itchy skin we end up with lymphoma mm-hmm. or you know, something of that nature. So, but yeah, no one's really connecting the dots mm-hmm. though. I think except people approach it from a holistic uh, perspective. Exactly. Well, and we know that there yeah. are a couple of different versions of vaccinosis. You know, there's the, you know, the, the 48 hour anaphylactic shock, you know, the face is swelling up and, and yeah. that's what's recognized. Yeah. More of the acute one. Yeah, and then right. there is the <clears throat> slow burning, you know, chronic, and so, and those are the ones mm-hmm. I think that that are the hardest for people and veterinarians to tie back to, you know, the vaccine that was given. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. because you really can't prove. There's no way to really prove it. Like, like not a blood test where you can say, okay, this is definitely mm-hmm. what it is. Um. It's just more recognized by clinical appearance and over time with the pattern. And, you know, it's something that homeopaths really have been recognizing for 200 years. So it's it's nothing new to them, but it's kind of new to everybody else who isn't really familiar sure. with that. Yeah. So, yeah, when I first heard about it, I thought, whoa, wait a minute. How come I didn't know this already? Exactly. But, um, just wasn't taught. Yeah. 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 So the acute stage that you mentioned, that's pretty rare. You know, that hardly ever happens. And when it does, it's it's pretty severe and it's usually over within a hurry, one way or the other. They either get over it or they pass mm-hmm. away. But the more common form, the chronic form is very quiet, very sneaky. And it just it just smolders uh, on and on and on in the animal's life. Yeah. And makes everyone so. miserable. So I want to, if we could maybe go into, um, there are some different things that manifest as a result of, say, like distemper vaccinosis, rabies vaccinosis, the feline Mm -hmm. panleukopenia, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe talk a little bit about what are some of the characteristics of the disease, and then what are some of the characteristics of vaccinosis of that disease yeah exactly and that's um those are the three that um, we focused on mainly in our our homeopathy training with dr pitcairn because he feels like distemper rabies and panleukopenia are the three three major um, viral diseases of these animals and parvo um as you'll see when we talk about chronic distemper um Parvo came on the scene in the 70s, so Parvo is a relative newcomer compared to the other viruses, which had been around for a long time, you know, maybe hundreds mm-hmm. of years or longer. But um, canine distemper, 
for example, is considered an ancient disease of dogs. And it's, it's been around probably for thousands of years. Um, but with repeated vaccination of dogs over time, the acute disease now is pretty rare. But what we see is, is um, a variety of chronic diseases which resemble distemper. So really all you have to do is you could, you could look at the symptoms of canine distemper and you can find those anywhere online. And then just think of the vaccinosis as a watered down version or a weaker version of the, the natural disease. So, um, for instance, going through this list that we're, we're referring to here, um, eye, eye and nose discharge in canine distemper, a watery nasal and eye discharge is one of the first things that is seen in a, in a dog with distemper. And so in chronic, the chronic form of this would just be a dog that tends to have a runny nose or runny eyes quite mm-hmm. a bit. And we've all seen this oh, yeah. kind of dogs. Or, um, and, you know, kind of related to that is a tendency to have conjunctivitis or irritation of the lining of the eyelids yes. around the That's eye. That's another common one. And mm-hmm. it's a very common one that we see. And even like in tropion where the eyelids roll inward and irritate mm-hmm. the eye. Um, another common symptom of canine sipper is vomiting, diarrhea, loss of appetite. And then you can you can equate that to chronic um, GI, liver, and pancreas disorders that dogs have. And, um, you know, and some people are going to shake their head and say, no, that's not a connection. Well, it, you know, I think it is. And I think there's plenty of evidence to link those mm-hmm. together. And then going down the list, we have other things like abnormal stools um, of canine distemper symptoms, abnormal stools with a mucoid, bloody, or foul smell. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me right away of Parvo (laughs) or other dogs with chronic diarrhea, inflammatory bowel trouble, colitis, you know, all really common chronic problems in the dog, in the dogs that we see. And then we can go more into some neurologic things. And um, dogs with distemper tend to have spasms or fits like epilepsy, like seizures, also paralysis of the limbs. And the similar thing we see on the chronic disease side is is just epilepsy in dogs that has no known cause. You know, idiopathic mm-hmm. epilepsy is the most common cause of seizures, and and also uh, degenerative myelopathy, which is a problem in a lot of large yes. dogs where they just gradually get paralyzed in the rear end. <clears throat> so that could be related. And then we have uh, some skin symptoms like uh, mucocutaneous which is the junction of um, mucous membranes with skin, like on the fold of the lips and the eyes. And so just, you know, the lip fold irritations, the facial skin irritations we mm-hmm. see in dogs. Um, distemper symptom, inflammation of foot pads. And one of the more common things that dogs will show as a chronic form of this is just irritation in between the toes where they get real irritated in that fold there in between the digits. And they just want to lick their feet all the time. Oh, yes. That's one of the That's most common allergy common. symptoms yes. that we see is excessive foot licking. Yeah. And then distemper has a lot of respiratory symptoms. Most dogs that die of it eventually die of pneumonia mm. or really severe respiratory trouble. And so we can equate that with chronic uh, forms of respiratory trouble in dogs like kennel cough, bronchitis, asthma. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, distemper with skin eruptions, especially on the abdomen. And a lot of puppies, especially the first thing that shows up is this this puppy rash that they get on the belly. And uh, I've almost, you know, even told us in vet school, oh, it's just puppy pyodermic. It's just part of their growth. You know, it's part of their development. Mm -hmm. And like, don't worry about it. But this is probably chronic distemper manifesting itself. And then the last one on our list is emaciation, um, wasting syndromes. Um, so distemper shows this and <clears throat> chronic, the chronic form of distemper, the vaccinosis form shows this too. You see dogs that just are wasting away. They either don't want to eat or they can't mm-hmm. gain weight. They're eating and they can't absorb their food. They can't utilize it very well. So interesting. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, that's a, 
pretty good list of chronic distemper or distemper vaccinosis. So, yeah. and some of these overlap, you know, when we get into talking about rabies, um, you'll see some that are pretty similar. You know, some of the chronic rabies symptoms look a lot like some of the distemper symptoms. And that, I mean, again, you know, but, these, you know, clients that I have that come in and they're, you know, they're, they're frustrated because of, you know, some of these things are happening again, there's no, um, correlation, you know, that, that, I mean, it, and it just, yeah. um, yeah. So, and I know that they're frustrated because, you know, the dog is licking their feet excessively, you know, but you know, they're, oh, they're yeah. up to yeah. date on their vaccines. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <clears throat> yeah. My goodness. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that makes me cringe when I hear that. that they're up to yeah, date. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so what about rabies? I know then, that comes with a host yep. of things so, too. Yeah, rabies has a host of things. And again, you know, most people are familiar, kind of familiar with the, the more common symptoms of natural rabies. And fortunately, it's very rare in the U.S. today. You know, we, we hardly ever see it in dogs. Once in a while you hear about a cat having rabies or, or a dog occasionally, but it's pretty much not showing up in the U.S. these days. And a lot of it probably has been the intense vaccination programs that we've had, which which have really lessened it, you know, compared to like the 40s and 50s when it was pretty common to see rabbit dogs roaming in the street, you know, like it is in some parts of the world sure. today. Um, like the Middle East and Africa and places like that, they have a lot of trouble with dog rabies still. Um but a lot of the ner- a lot of the symptoms though are real familiar to people and but also some of the the rabies vaccinosis symptoms are real familiar too and you know the most common one people probably um have heard of the aggression you know the the dog that is suddenly just crazy mm-hmm. and aggressive and unpredictable and and um this is one that we see quite often after rabies vaccine, it can happen months later, but usually in a young dog, but it can be an older dog, but they're, it's like their personality shifts. Like all of a sudden they don't trust their own family. They don't recognize them. Well, you know, um, I have a friend. They don't obey commands yeah. anymore. They're kind of unfriendly. I have a, a friend who is a, um, is a trainer, a dog trainer. And yeah. they'll, you know, she'll yeah. get the call and my dog all of a sudden just got aggressive. And so she'll ask, you know, did you happen yeah. to get him? vaccinated recently you know and they're like well yeah but what does that have to do with anything you know so oh yeah 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 i i always ask that if i'm talking to someone about a behavior problem you know when was the last rabies vaccine mm-hmm. and usually the first thing they say is oh he's exactly. up today. <laughs> well i i figure he is and that's probably part exactly. of the problem um but even things like um separation anxiety you know Separation anxiety can be a really frustrating thing. That's probably a part of rabies vaccinosis because one of the natural symptoms of rabies is the dog will become more affectionate. They'll become real clingy. Mm. Um, if they have rabies, before they turn aggressive, they get real clingy. Like they, they don't want to leave your side. They want to be all mm. over you. And so dogs that are like that and display separation anxiety, that that can be that can be um triggered or made worse by rabies vaccines interesting and then dogs that are escape artists oh. escape artists and break out of cages and kennels senses and, you know go crazy to get out of any kind of enclosure you know that's probably a rabies vaccinosis hmm. symptom and and these are all related to natural symptoms of rabies um extreme resistance to restraint you know dogs that um you just want to hold the dog and trim their nails or clean their ears or do something. And they just go crazy. Sure. They act like, you know, they just have to hurt themselves to get away from you mm-hmm. almost. I've got one of those. Or dogs that do hurt themselves. Yeah. I, I literally yeah, have to that, put a um, muzzle on her to um, trim her toenails because yeah. it's that it's just like a violent reaction. Yeah. 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 Right. And we, we routinely muzzle most dogs if we trim their nails anyway, just for safety reasons. But a lot of times it tends to have a calming effect, but on these dogs, if they have rabies vaccinosis, it'll do the opposite. It'll actually make them mm-hmm. worse, you know, because they, they can't stand that idea of being restrained. Sure. Even if it's just to have a soft nylon muzzle on, it just kind of makes them mm-hmm. go crazy. So, um, 
Uh, other things like, you know, change in the voice quality, loss of appetite, paralysis of swallowing muscles. These are all natural rabies symptoms. And they relate to things like, um, well, increased barking. That's one of the symptoms in a lot of dogs is that they'll just get crazy about barking at nothing. Mm. And they'll bark so much they lose their voice. They get hoarse. Dogs that are finicky eaters, and hard to get them to eat anything. They're they're just very finicky. That that can be related to rabies vaccinosis. And um, laryngeal paralysis, you know, where dogs have, that's a common diagnosis with some dog laryngeal paralysis that can be related to um, rabies vaccine. And Another real common one is dry eye or KCS, you know, dogs that have a chronic dry eye where their tear glands just dry up. Mm. That That is probably related to rabies vaccinosis because in rabies, they get to the point where their corneas just dry out and they can't even close their wow. eyes. You know? My goodness, and that's so sad. We don't realize a lot of this anymore because we, you know, we've lost our, we've kind of lost our collective knowledge of rabies and what it's really like, mm-hmm. you know, how, how bad it is. But dogs with rabies will tend to eat anything and everything. They'll eat wood, stones, sticks, poop, mm-hmm. um, dirt, you know, they'll clothes. Eat anything, everything that isn't food. Yeah, clothes, bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 have a dog that comes in the clinic. We we took socks out of her bowel three times over a three month oh period. Wow. <laughs> she kept swallowing socks and getting a blockage, and you know. It, Part of it was an owner problem, you know, let's pick up your socks. Right. But, um, but it's a, it's that pica tendency that, that urge to eat things it shouldn't be eating. And that's a rabies vaccinosis symptom. Yeah. Same with, you know, other neurologic things like, like seizures, obviously, epilepsy, um, and other kinds of seizures probably all relate yeah. in some way to this just because of the way rabies virus can affect the nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing I was interested too is the reverse sneezing. Yeah. Reverse sneezing. Yeah. I was, um, I was surprised when I, when I learned that that was probably a rabies vaccine related thing and we can make it go away with remedies that treat vaccinosis, like lactosis or listen. Some of the rabies vaccinosis remedies hmm. help that to go away. Yeah. So. <clears throat> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of evidence, too, that some heart disturbances, which happen with rabies, yeah, like arrhythmias, cardiomyopathy, um, those can be related to vaccinosis with rabies. Wow. So. Yeah, that. So it's a it's a pretty major thing, and um, our teacher, Dr. Pickhairn, he felt like rabies vaccine probably has more of a negative effect than the other vaccines on dogs. Mm-hmm. And I I would tend to agree. I think I think that's true, and it makes sense because it is a much nastier virus than any of the right. other viruses. Yeah, and I would think it works a lot on their brain and their nervous system and. Yeah. That also relates yeah, to behavior, yeah. which, you know, aggression and eating yeah. things. And Yeah. And the natural, the natural form of disease is pretty much fatal hundred percent of the mm. time. You know, there's no way there's, there's really not any way to treat it with any success. Although back in the day, the homeopaths did treat some of it with homeopathy and had some success, um, even treating people that were bitten by rabid animals. So that's that's pretty impressive no that they were able to yeah. do that. But, you know, that would be unheard of today. Yeah. So. Well, that is, yeah. that's an impressive list. Um, we also know that, you know, our cats, um, they're faced with a lot of vaccinosis symptoms as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think cats are, yeah, they're very sensitive to yeah. it. Yeah. So you were, you had yeah. kind of, um, we had kind of talked a little bit about the feline panleukopenia. Um, maybe if you could talk mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the disease symptoms and then also what the vaccinosis yeah. symptoms may be. Yeah. Yeah. And panleukopenia, actually the virus is, um, some of the older notes called it feline parvo because it, it's actually a parvovirus. And they think that maybe that's where canine parvo came from was feline panleukopenia virus morphed morphed into canine parvovirus 
because they're very similar. And in the early days of parvo in dogs, they didn't have a vaccine yet, and they were vaccinating with they were vaccinating dogs with feline pain leukopenia vaccine mm-hmm. because they did have that, and and they were pretty successful, you know, protecting them from parvo. So, um, but a lot of the uh, symptoms of pain leukopenia are similar to symptoms of parvo in puppies. Um, but if we look at, you know, a variety of the symptoms, like um, the first one on, on our list here that we have is indifference to people or other cats and just kind of a lassitude or laziness. And it, it sounds funny, but a lot of cats are like that normally, or, or they seem to be that way normally. Lazy, just not very active. They don't tend to do much. And people just say, oh, well, you know, he's a cat. That's what cats do. And but but most normal cats are are more active. You know they they're on the prowl. They're looking for things. To right. Hunt. You know that's that's more their mm-hmm. normal activity. But um, with um, you know with ours uh, with this type of thing, we see a disturbed version of normal. So, and then you know cats are notoriously finicky eaters. A lot of them are, and that can be related to chronic panleukopenia where Cats with panleukopenia will lose their appetite, not even have an appetite. And and also with fever, you know, panleukopenia will cause a fever. And then one of the more common things in cats is this um, FUO or fever of unknown origin. Mm. And we'll see cats come in and they just have like 105, 106 degree fever. And that's their only symptom. You know, they don't really have any other symptoms. And so that could be a a flare-up of this chronic panleukopenia expressing itself and it probably is and you know another thing in panleukopenia cats will have a pretty bad hair coat Mm. it'll be just a just a brittle and dry looking coat looks like they haven't groomed themselves very Mm -hmm. much and this shows up in cats in the in the form of chronic panleukopenia as cats that just don't groom very well you know they just start grooming themselves and they might get real matted and have, have to be shorn down once in a while like a little so, disheveled. And uh, another thing about panleukopenia is the dehydration. And uh, yeah, yeah, very disheveled, unkempt. Like Mark Twain said, it looked like a cat that hadn't been petted enough. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about some some people that way. It looked like a cat that hadn't been petted enough. That's great. Um, but um, dehydration, you know, a lot of cats, they're pretty dehydrated animals anyway, normally. They just don't drink very much. Well, and especially, and, uh, too, because they're typically on a dry kibble. Yeah, they're on a dry diet. And they tend to be desert. They're like desert-type mm-hmm. animals anyway, so they they tend to maintain a pretty dehydrated state. So, And this can lead to urinary tract problems a lot of times. So a lot of the chronic dehydration and urinary tract problems may be rooted in chronic panleukopenia with cats. And, and another thing that's very common, the uh, hyperthyroidism that a lot of older cats run into is probably vaccinosis related. And because it's a tumor growing in the thyroid. And body. that makes so much sense. I had a cat um, that I rescued, yeah. you know, from a shelter and she ended up with hyperthyroidism and that was a horrible disease. Yeah. Horrible. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really bad. And it's a very stubborn disease. The hard one to deal with. A lot of homeopathy, we, you know, the home test, we all talk to each other, and no one really has very great success with mm-hmm. it. Um, probably because it it's such an advanced state of pathology. You know, by the time they get there, they're they're pretty far down the sure. track, and it's hard to turn things around. So, um, and then um, you know, the, another common thing with with cats today, the the inflammatory bowel disease, the IBD, and that tends to be a very common thing. And that, that could be considered a chronic symptom of panleukopenia. Uh, panleukopenia cats will have vomiting, diarrhea, bloody stools. Yeah, that's super very similar common. to parvo and puppies. I hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the chronic uh, upper respiratory trouble, which is very, very common in oh, cats. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it starts from their kittens and then they never really get mm-hmm. over it. Um, sinus problems and uh, sneezing and runny nose, runny eyes. Um, 
polyps in the in the nose and things like that. And and those relate to pain leukopenia as well. You know the the natural disease. Mm-hmm. So wow. Um, yeah. So it. You know, and he and Dr. Pitcairn, he made comments with us about because people say, "What about feline leukemia?" And because that's kind of a new thing too, similar to parvo in, in dogs, feline leukemia hasn't been recognized for that long. But he felt like it was um, um, a form of pain leukemia becoming chronic. And but but this is you know from a homeopathic perspective because it can be confusing to talk to somebody and say things like that because they'll say, well, leukemia is a different virus. Mm-hmm. You know? It is, but, you know, we're, you know, why do we have that virus? Yeah. Where did it come from? Um, so, so one of the things he said, and it makes sense to me, is that we really haven't eliminated anything by vaccinating. We've just changed its appearance or changed its mm. shape. And so we, we end up with all these new forms of old diseases that are still causing problems in all these species. And we feel like, you know, oh, we've eliminated, you know, we've eliminated distemper, we've eliminated rabies with our vaccines, aren't we wonderful? Mm-hmm. You know, similar to people saying, oh, we've gotten rid of measles and um, polio, you know, in children with vaccines. Well, I don't know. Yeah, so you're trading <laughs> I don't know. it I don't for know. something have we else. Really, yeah, have we or have we caused more problems? So I think it's pretty easy to argue that we have caused more problems than we've, than we've cured. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a tricky issue. It definitely is. Yeah. And I would think that there are so many layers to trying to figure out what, you know, from a homeopath as you, um, trying to figure out the best remedy to prescribe based on, you know, the symptom profile. And I would think too, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to play around with it. You know, you, maybe you start with something and then you move yeah. to something else, um, depending on how they react. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. That's usually the approach that we have to take because a lot of times you can't see things very clearly because the symptom picture is kind of murky. And a lot of times they've had a lot of drugs, um, had a lot of drug treatment, which alters the picture even sure. more. And so a lot of times we'll just start with, you know, big common remedies like thuya and sulfur and mm-hmm. silica and maybe lachesis for dogs and and just start, you know, treating with these remedies and just see what happens. Sure. Um, see if we're moving things in the right direction or not. And if we are, then we, you know, then as things go along, it becomes more clear um, what's left. You know, what have we what have we got rid of and what's still there? And we focus more on what's still there and, and just um, kind of like peeling the layers off, like people talk about peeling layers off of the mm-hmm. onion. And we're just trying to get down to the point of um, getting rid of all of it if we can. Sure. You know, that's <clears throat> that's really the goal. And it's it's hard and sometimes we don't we don't make it. Sometimes we can't really get there with some animals. And you know, we end up uh, the clients end up wanting just to go back to conventional medicine and um Getting the quick fix, you know, they feel that no symptoms is better than symptoms. And mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it takes a lot of patience sometimes to really go through it and wait it out while your animals um, healing themselves. Right. Well, because it is such a different yeah. approach. Yeah. You know, we're used to the quick pharmaceutical, you give the pill yeah. and you notice, you know, the response is pretty immediate. And with homeopathy, yeah, it, it may yeah. take a little bit for the body to kind of wake up and go, oh, okay, wait a second. And I, I need to, you know, heal myself here. So, yeah. 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 Because yeah, you're really asking the body to do something it's not used to being asked to do. Yeah. You know, usually the drugs are just saying, sit down and be quiet. We don't want to hear that. Yeah. And the remedy's saying, no, no, come on out and talk to us. You know, we want to hear what you have to say. Right. And so you can think of the vital force as being kind of like hiding over in the corner (laughs) (laughs) and you have to coax it out. And because, yeah, it it can, the vital force can get pretty sluggish and forget what it's supposed to be doing. 
I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Especially if you keep hushing yeah. it, you know, you stay over there, you keep quiet, you don't, you know, you don't give yeah. us any of those symptoms, which help us know what to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 So, so if you're, if we're looking at, you know, um, someone who is, who is, you know, maybe they're hearing this and they're thinking, my gosh, my dog is really struggling with, you know, eating all the laundry or eating every stick in the yard or, you know, all of a sudden, you know, aggression or no, you know, watery nose and eyes, you know, so they're, so they're recognizing that there may be some um, vaccinosis symptoms in there. What would you um, recommend that these, these folks do? Well, um, if they're able to, you know, they, it's it's really nice to work with a homeopathic vet to help guide you through, um, or or someone like you, even who's you know who understands homeopathy and can help help guide them along with uh, remedy selection. You know where to start, yeah. and um, so because it it can be a little confusing and intimidating at first. And I've I've had cases sometimes that were just so messed up. I thought, well, where do we where do we start? You know, where do we? Um, it's like walking into a room that's a disaster. What do exactly? I do exactly. It's like well, there's itchy allergic yeah. skin. There's sneezing. There's reverse sneezing. There's. <laughs> it's like yeah, every single yeah. vaccinosis symptom is is kind of popping up. So yeah. 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 So I think it would be super beneficial to have someone that understands that a lot of the issues that they're facing aren't just kind of a one-off thing. It's the body imbalanced. And like you said, the immune system is confused. And if you can have somebody, you know, that you know, a, a trained homeopath, yeah, which is you, exactly. um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a certified naturopath. I can help, you know, direct people in the right direction. Um, but to really just kind yeah. of, it, like you said, peel back the layers of the onion so that you can kind of get to the root of what is causing um, so much disarray in their, in their body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And even just starting with the basic, you know, basic remedies, like I mm -hmm. mentioned there, through you sulfur and silica are probably three that I use a yes. lot um, in the beginning. And, and we usually use them in that order, not necessarily all the time, but a lot of times through is a good one to try first and sulfur follows through you real well and silica follows sulfur. So, yeah. That's a good order to think of them a lot of times. And so, yeah. And there's, you know, and there's a lot of help out there. Um, and um, a lot of companies now that even sell these different combination things called anti-vaccinosis mm -hmm. um, remedies and protocols and things. So sure. a lot of those can be pretty helpful. But, um, and, and just learning more about about vaccines and you know having people get the courage to you know tell the vet um you know i'm not gonna i, I want to do this i'm not going to do all these vaccines i'm trying to do a different approach and you know you may end up having to change vets because um some vets don't like to hear that and they you know they, they get offended by it so you might have to find someone who can work with you and is willing to be open-minded about it and that's such a good point because i think you know, and I know you and I have talked about this in previous podcasts is that we get that, you know, we want to check the box off and we get the card, you know, the postcard, the reminder card. And we think, oh, gosh, I got to do yeah. this for my animal, I'm, you know, to, to stay on top of everything. Yeah. And um, got to check that box. Yeah. And so um, but if we can realize that, you know, especially if they've already had vaccines, most likely they're already immune um to what we are trying to revaccinate yeah. them for yeah yeah and the and the even dirtier little secret is that they're probably going to have immunity even if they haven't been vaccinated um just from natural immunity. exactly yeah natural natural exposure that's right which 
you know, is happening all the time all around us. Yeah. And so surprise, surprise, the immune system doing its thing when you didn't. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. So, and I, I agree with yeah. you that it's so important for us to, you know, be our pets advocate to stand up and, you know, you know, just kind of realize that, you know, there is, there is a, a negative payoff to continue, you know, to vaccinations. And yeah. again, I don't think there's so much, yeah. there's so many people that have no awareness yeah. of that whatsoever. And um, I think things like this are helping right. to bring yeah. that to light. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and people will say, well, you know, I can't, I can't afford to go get a natural bred puppy from a natural breeder because they're very expensive and they usually mm-hmm. are. Um, but you can do the same thing that the natural breeders are doing, which is to not vaccinate as much, you know, in order to just get to a better state of health in your own dog. Right. And a lot of people are amazed. And I've seen dogs that, you know, were maybe middle-aged dogs that had been vaccinated all their life and had horrible health problems. And just by stopping the vaccines then and using homeopathy and maybe fixing the diet, the dog does a complete turnaround, mm-hmm. you know, and the people can't believe how healthy the dog is about a year later. Right. So, yeah, I've seen that many times and it's, it's made quite a few converts over to homeopathy. Yep. And I, I know I've seen it in my yeah. own dogs. Um, yeah. I've had vaccine yeah. damage yeah. dogs. Yeah. Seeing it in your own dogs is, yeah, I have too. I mm-hmm. have too. And I, yeah. Um, I mean, most of my veterinary life, I just did all the normal routine things with my own animals and they had all the same problems that everybody else's animals were having. And I just thought that was yeah. normal. So I didn't realize that it didn't have to be Like all way. the, even the, yeah. the peppy little bumps on their belly, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that was, that was, you know, I experienced that with my dogs. Yep. Oh, yeah. So I just give them a shot of cortisone and just exactly, right out, you know? exactly, <laughs> and just move on. Yeah, move on until next time. See how long we can wait exactly, until the next cortisone shot. Exactly. Yeah. And I honestly never gave it much thought, you know, until it until it really hit me in the face mm-hmm. that this was not the right thing. That's to right. Do. That's right. So, what would you like to leave the listeners well, with? Just maybe, just kind of in wrapping up here. Um, I think, I think first, you know, just to, just to understand that vaccines aren't the harmless cure-all that we've been told they are, mm-hmm. you know, we just finished listening to the news for the last year and a half or so tell us that all we need is a vaccine and COVID will be over. And now we see that that's not really true. Right. Um, we've had flu shots forever and we still have the flu all mm-hmm. the time. So you know, this notion that vaccines are kind of a, a mad one is just not true. And in that there are better ways to build immunity. You know, one of them is homeopathy and there's other ways too. But, um, you know, one of the best ways is to not do things that damage the immune system, like vaccinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, do things that um, don't interfere with immunity, but help to build it instead. So, you know, good diet, um, minimal drugs, minimal chemicals, um, and minimal vaccines, you know, and then using a, a more of a natural healing approach like homeopathy um, can work wonders just in treating other problems. And and the animal body will respond most of the time and they'll eventually get stronger and stronger right. and more resistant to things. And hopefully you won't be, you know, in a small percentage of folks who do all those things right and still have bad luck, which, you know, I know you've had that experience yourself, mm-hmm. Tammy. And, Unfortunately. And yeah. I have too. Mm-hmm. I, I have too with my own animals sometimes, but you know, it's just one of the things that um, happens. It's just one of those facts of life. Exactly. We can't avoid sometimes, but, but, but we can definitely stack the odds in, in our favor by doing all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And just just learning as much as you can about about this um, whole idea of vaccinosis and, you know, chronic disease caused by vaccines. There's a lot of resources out there, a lot of good information. Yes. 
Well, this has so, been so, yeah. so great. I don't know if you want to mention any of the resources that you have found to be most helpful and I could put them in the show notes. Um, yeah, the, um, well, let's see. Um, well, you know, two of the, two of the books that I think are helpful are, are Pete Karen's book. Um, Dr. Pickern book and Don Hamilton has a really good book too, where he talks about vaccinosis quite a bit. And um, so that will help people get understanding. You can find both of those on Amazon. They're really easy to find. Okay. Um, the, uh, the AVH website, uh, it's just theavh.org, T-H-E-A-V-H.org. There's a lot of good information there. There's also a find a vet feature where you can find, you know, you can look up veterinarians in your area okay. if you want to visit somebody face to face. Or you can do, um, most of us do uh, phone consults long mm-hmm. distance or Skype or FaceTime or something mm-hmm. like that, video conference. So, and that's even more common now during the days of COVID because a lot of conventional vets are doing that now. But, um, so that's a good way to find someone that can um, come alongside you and help guide you through the process because it, it's a little intimidating. And I've, I've talked to a lot of folks over the last 10 or 12 years that, you know, they want to make that jump. They want to make that first step and they just don't know what to do. For right. Sure. Exactly. So, so it can help. And, and, you know, once they've done it with that first animal, it's like they're off and running, you know, and they know, they know what to do. They know how it's going to go. They know how it feels to, to be doing that. And it just really helps build some confidence. And, and um, you know, they just feel like they can do it. It's not that big a deal anymore. Exactly. Yes. But it does take that. So, they need yeah. that extra little help and kind of nudge um, sometimes to, yeah. to, yeah. to get them to I have think, the confidence. I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because you really, you really, I think, have to do it firsthand mm-hmm. and experience it to really build that confidence. And it's like Dr. Buchanan told us all to go see a homeopath ourselves while we were taking the training. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, I don't even know <laughs> me. I don't need to go to a homeopath. And uh, right. <laughs> that's a symptom, by the that's way. That's funny. <laughs> no. Uh, so, um, you know, you go see a homeopath and you find out what that's like firsthand, which also helps you know, make you more familiar with the whole process and easier to work with it with your animals then because you have a deeper understanding and, you know, you've experienced it firsthand. So I think it's a great idea for anybody. Sure. Yeah. And, and homeopathy can only help. It really can't hurt. And, you know, contrary to what you might read online because the internet is kind of an unfriendly place to homeopathy in a lot of ways, but, um, there's been a lot of resistance to it right from the beginning by folks on the conventional side that just don't mm-hmm. like it. And, and that's still true today. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, negative talk like Wikipedia doesn't even have a good article about homeopathy. It's very slanted mm-hmm. and it refers to homeopathy as pseudoscience and it's just very negative. Yeah. And, and they won't, they won't change it and they won't take it down. Even though the homeopaths have, have petitioned them many times to try to change it. That's unfortunate. So, so you can't trust Wikipedia for everything. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially for homeopathy. Yeah. 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 I don't trust them for anything, honestly, because I think if they can't get it right about homeopathy, what else? Exactly. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, little. No, no, that's good stuff. Um, But yeah, I think this is so helpful because. But yeah, get in and try it. Find someone who can work with you. Mm-hmm. And don't be intimidated by the process. Yep. Super good advice and super great information. I know so many people are listening going, oh my goodness, my dog or my cat is facing the same thing. And I had no idea. So um, I think this has been yeah. so helpful and so informative. And yeah. Thank you, as always, for sharing your wisdom. It's always amazing. So my pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure as always. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Well, I hope this helps a lot of folks. And um, yeah, let me know if there's anything else I can do. Absolutely. Most definitely. I think it will. Thank you again. 
Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode, share it with someone who may also want to help their pet. You can share it now or post it on social media. Tag me in it so that I can reach back out to you. I'm so proud of you for taking steps to help your amazing furry family member. Talk to you soon.